Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, Submission. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Praise the Lord. Today we're going to share with you about submission. And this is a subject that I'm excited about. There's a lot to say about it in the Word of God. And there's a lot of important things that affect your life and mine both. All of us have to be in submission under the authority that's been given over us. But I'm also excited about this because there's been a lot of abuse of this. There's been a lot of teaching that has taken just a few things that is said in the Word of God about submission, and it puts it out of balance. And this has brought a lot of people into bondage today. And that is a false teaching and a false conception about submission. There has to be a true a truth there, a partial truth, or Satan couldn't use it to deceive people in the body of Christ and get them over into it. He always sugarcoats the poison that he gives people. And so what we're going to do, we're going to try and weed out the doubt and the unbelief, the extreme that has been abused in this area, and we're going to try and purify it and get it down and teach what true submission is. And I believe this is something that will be very helpful to everybody. If there are some of you that have never heard about what a godly type of submission is, well, then this will set you free. It really will, because there is a truth in God's Word about submitting yourself, and you'll just find out that that's the way that God made us. That's God's order and plan for us, and we will never be truly content and have the peace that God intended us to unless we start operating the way that God ordained. Like, for instance, there's a lot of people today, well, women, talking about women's lib and about how that they feel like they've had their rights infringed upon because they don't get out and work and make the living that some people do and things like this. Well, now, I'm not saying that a woman can't work. I'm not going to uh, really deal with that issue, but I'm simply saying this, that the Bible said that God made the woman to be a help meet for man, that the Lord gave a woman a place of responsibility in the home. That's her ministry. And if a wife would figure that out, and get in there and operate in it, you'll find out that there's no bondage to it. Matter of fact, that's the way that God made you, and that's where true happiness and completeness is going to be. Now, praise God, I will get into that later, but I'm just simply saying this to illustrate the fact that there is a plan of submission for you. You are supposed to submit unto authority, unto the will of God, unto different things, and until this submission is obtained, until we find the truth that God's Word has to say about it, well, then we simply aren't going to have the peace and the fulfillment that God intended for us to have. So it's important that we find out what the truth is here and that we get it operative in our lives. And so, praise God, that's what we're going to start dealing with. We're going to talk about four, or I could say five, different areas of submission. I'm going to divide it into five different categories. We're going to talk, first of all, about the area of submission that is the wife submitting unto the husband as the head. We're going to deal with that. And then the second area, we'll be dealing with the members of the body of Christ submitting themselves unto an elder. There's a doctrine that's gone forth about this today, and it's commonly entitled shepherding or discipleship. And it has uh, truth to it, but again, I say it has been grossly misused in a lot of deals. A lot of cases, we're going to deal with that. We're going to deal with the area of submission, like all of us submitting unto the government, 
the scripture has a lot to say about that. We're going to deal with the area of like a parent submitting, a child submitting themselves unto a parent. And then the scripture says that we are all supposed to submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God. And so there's just five basic areas of submission. The main two that we'll be dealing with is the area of a woman submitting herself unto her husband. And then the second area will be of us submitting ourselves unto uh, elder in the body of Christ. We all, on this tape, we'll be dealing simply with the subject of the wife's submission unto her husband. And then on subsequent tapes, we'll be dealing with the area of submission to elders and submission to one another in the body of Christ and these other areas. I'd like to just turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and begin to share some scriptures here. These are scriptures that are commonly used dealing with the area of a wife submitting herself unto her husband. And there's some important things to see here from God's Word. We'll start reading with verse 18 out of Ephesians chapter 5. This is where the sentence starts, and it says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, this is beginning to talk about the husband and wife relationship in verse 21. It says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, this would apply to more than just the husband and wife relationship, but it certainly does apply to the husband and wife relationship, and, it, and I mean, it's in context. It, it begins immediately in the 22nd verse to say, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. So this is, the 21st verse is talking about the husband and the wife relationship, and it says submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now many times when submission is talked about, there is only the area of the wife submitting herself unto the husband that's taught. And the reason for that is because there is a, there's supposed to be a greater submission on the wife's part to the husband. The scripture stresses it that way. If there's anybody that feels like that's being a male chauvinist, well, that's just uh, your problem because that is what the Word has to say. And as we've already mentioned, I tell you, this is not to infringe upon a woman's right. It's to give her liberty. It'll really set you free if you begin to see God's proper order. So that's what's taught most of the time is the woman submitting herself unto her husband. But also, I want you to see through this verse that the Scripture says that we're supposed to submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God. The proper way that God would want the marriage relationship to function is that the husband and wife both be born again, baptized in the Holy Ghost believers, established in the Word of God, and if that's so, then we would submit ourselves one to another. And I tell you, just the way that my wife and I operate in our home, that is that I am the head. Like, for instance, if it comes down to a draw, and if my wife and I just didn't agree on something, what I have to say about it will go because she submits herself to me and she trusts God and we believe that and that's the way that it works. But the best way and the way that we work the majority of the time is that neither one of us lord it over the other person. We have set Jesus up as the head of our home. We've set God's Word as the central guiding figure in the, in the home. 
And what God's Word has to say is what we do. And it doesn't matter. If my little boy was to come to me and tell me what God had told me to do from God's Word, if he could back it up with Scripture, I'd submit to it simply because it was God's Word. And I believe that that is really the best way. We're supposed to submit ourselves one to another. If the wife is the one that comes up and she can say, Thus says the Lord, this is what the Scripture has to say, then the husband ought to submit himself, not necessarily to the wife, but to the Word of God that she has spoken. God's Word ought to rule. It ought not to be the husband simply saying, I've got authority, you're going to do what I want, doesn't matter what the Word has to say or what you've got to say about it. You see, that will not work. And that's the reason that there are some men that have taken these kind of teachings and they've said, see, woman, you are supposed to do whatever I tell you. Well, now, God's perfect system is that we are supposed to submit ourselves one to another. Now, there is a headship in the man, and we're going to deal with that, and we're going to get into this and talk about it on down here in the 23rd verse of Ephesians chapter 5. There is a system of order, but I want you to see that if, if, we were functioning the way we should. It should not be the husband lording it over the wife. They are, we are heirs together of the grace of life. That's what it says over in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. We're heirs together of the grace of life, and we should simply share it. Marriage is not just a 50-50 relationship. Marriage is a 100%, 100% relationship. A working marriage will be that way. And that is that I give myself totally to my wife, and I, I serve her, I submit to her, and she gives herself totally to me. Now, that's the way that it's supposed to be, but it doesn't always work that way because there are husbands and wives that got married before they got saved or even after they got saved. There's varying degrees of spiritual growth. There's some that are unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. There's a thousand and one complications to this. And I don't know that we're going to be able to cover them all, but we're going to get into some of these and begin to explain them. But I do want to say, and I want to stress this, that the way it, what we are striving for is not to where the woman becomes a mat for the man and the man dominates her and rules over her. No, that is not it. That was a part of the curse in the Old Covenant, if you'd like to read that, out of Genesis chapter 3. It was a curse put upon the woman, and it said, Jesus, well, excuse me, it was God the Father spoke to the woman after there had been sin, and he said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And so the Lord cursed the serpent. And then in verse 16, Genesis 3:16, he said unto the woman, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, in sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now that was a curse put upon the woman. That wasn't a blessing. That was a punishment. It was a judgment because of the sin that she had allowed to enter in. And, and part of it was that her husband should rule over her. Well, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, that Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. And the good news is that, praise God, you are, the woman is not supposed to be a rug, and the man is not supposed to rule over her. Now, somebody might cite some examples in the Old Testament, but I tell you, if you want to go back to the Old Testament, you can find out that there's a lot of things different, praise God, than there is in the New Covenant. 
praise the Lord for the difference in it. Under the old covenant, there were sacrifices, there were offerings, there was wrath of, of God. Like, for instance, a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day had to be stoned to death. Praise God that there is a difference between the old and the new covenant. And I want to stress this. And I'm not doing away with the old covenant. It is still powerful, and it is very much for our learning and admonition today, but it must be taken in the light of the new covenant. And in the new covenant, Galatians 3.13, we are redeemed from the curse of the law. So the woman right here is redeemed from the fact of her husband ruling over her. There is still the truth of the husband being the head of the wife. Now, that is verified in the new covenant. But I want to stress this. And out of this 21st verse of Ephesians chapter 5, I want you to see that God's perfect standard, what we're working towards, is to where we submit ourselves one to another. Yes, the wife has a submission, but at the same time, husbands have a submission unto the wife, unto the woman as being a weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, according to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. So anyway, I just wanted to stress that point before we really got into this. And again, I'm not going to spend all that much time talking about the husband's responsibility because this is not just a teaching on marriage. It's a teaching on submission. And the area of the woman's submission to the husband is where the real confusion has been. So that's what we want to get on to. In verse 22, the Scripture says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now again, in verse 22, I want to stop here and say some things. There are many people that have heard the teaching on submission, and they'll take the scriptures in the Bible that talk about a wife submitting herself unto her husband, and they have been misled because they haven't read it carefully enough, and they think that it is saying that women in general are inferior, or excuse me, they, they think that they are supposed to be in submission to man in general. And that is not what the Scripture is having to say. This Scripture says right here, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. This did not say for you wives to submit yourselves unto men in general. No, it's talking about the husband and the wife. One relationship, one couple. This is not saying that women have to be in submission unto men. No, this is the wife is to be in submission unto the husband. Let's look at the other scriptures. There's some more scriptures that I'd like to compare this with and just bring this out. It's consistent all the way through. Out of 1 Timothy chapter 2, the scripture says in verse 9, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. Now see, people take that 11th verse right there that says, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, and they say, see, that means that a woman just isn't supposed to say anything in front of other men. And then verse 12, it says, but I suffer not a woman to teach. And they say, see, a woman cannot teach. A woman can't talk in the church. A woman can't do this. A woman can't do that. Well, let's keep reading. I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man. The man. Not over men, M-E-N, but over the man. And again, this is stressing the husband and the wife relationship. 
not the man and and not mankind and womankind relationship. Do you all see what I'm saying through this? It says, I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man. And let me also just throw this in. The word there, usurp, means to take by force, to forcibly take over the authority from the man, which would be referring to the husband, not from mankind. So this is not saying that a woman can't share what God has told her with her husband. That does not mean that if the woman is further along in the Word of God than the husband is, that she can't teach him. And if he was to come and say, Honey, what does this mean? I need to learn something. And if he was to ask her a question, if he wanted to know something, this does not say that she can't teach him anything from God's Word. It says usurp authority. The word usurp means to take by force. That means that you can't cram it down his throat. That if the husband is not in agreement with it, if he is in rebellion in what you've got to say, don't usurp that authority. Don't take it. You women should not wear the pants in your family. You should not call the shots. You should not be the head of the home. And that's what it's saying, that you should not usurp authority over the man. You should learn in silence with all subjection. You shouldn't be the one that's having the, the preeminence in the home. Now, I know that has some questions that some of you will have to go along with that. We'll try and get to them a little bit later. But the point I'm wanting you to see right here, again, when it's teaching about a woman and a man here, it's talking about the man. That means it's a husband and wife relationship, not a mankind and womankind relationship. And that's important that you see that. And then again, out of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, there's some scriptures here where it talks about, again, the area of women's uh, a woman's submission. In verse 34, it says, Let your, woman keep, your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. Now, this scripture, again, this parallels real close with what it said over in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. And if you'll look at this scripture closely, it says that it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. Well, now, let me ask you a question. Where in the law, that's talking about under the Old Covenant, where is it commanded that the women are supposed to be quiet and not say anything? Well, if you were like me, I began to study, and I couldn't find it. I found out, like, for instance, in Exodus chapter 15, where Deborah, uh, excuse me, Miriam, she led the women, and the women sang in, under her leadership, and they answered the men back in song, and they went forth praising God, saying, uh, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. His, the horse and the rider hath he thrown into the sea. And they did that in the congregation. Deborah stood up as a judge over the nation of Israel, and she spoke to the people, and she commanded, and she taught Barak what to say and what to do, and on and on. And God used her and raised her up. Moses and, and Miriam and Aaron, the Scripture talks about them, and, and Miriam was used in a lot of different places. In Nehemiah chapter 6, it talks about how that God raised up uh, Miriam as a prophetess unto the Lord. We read in Second Kings chapter 22, about a woman who was a prophetess and that the king inquired of. And on and on you could go. God used women in the Old Covenant, and they were not commanded to never say anything. That's not, it's not there. The only place 
that I can see where the Old Testament put a restriction upon women like this is the one that we read over there in Genesis chapter 3 where it said that the husband would rule over the woman, over his wife. Now notice again, see, if that's what this is speaking about, which I believe it is when it's talking about as also saith the law, if that's talking about the judgment that was placed upon Eve by God in Genesis chapter 3, well then that's talking about the husband and wife relationship again, not mankind and womankind relationship. And I want you to see this. It's important that you get it. And then over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, again, the scripture is dealing with the subject of a woman and her submission, and it's always talking about the man. It says, but the, the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. And on and on and on it goes. But if you'll read that in context, again, you'll find out that it is talking about a husband and wife relationship. So the reason I bring all of this out is to say that there are some people that have thought that women in general were supposed to submit to men in general, and they've got all kinds of weird doctrines and misconceptions because of that, and that is not what this scripture is teaching. I, as an as an elder in the body of Christ, I've pastored three churches, and I've had some women try and come and submit unto me and let me become their spiritual head. And I tell you, I didn't know what they was doing at the first, but I, I soon learned what they was doing, and that is not godly. That is not what the Scripture's talking about. Now, we'll deal with that a little bit further when we get into shepherding and things, but what I'm talking about is that there are a lot of women that have felt like that they just had to be ruled over by a man, that they were supposed to submit themselves unto men in general. An example of this is that I went to a church camp one time. This is when I was still in the Baptist denomination, and I didn't know very much. But I went to this church camp, and there was a lady that came there, and she was into this teaching on submission. And I mean, she was trying to obey it, and it wasn't working all that well in her life, but she was trying to obey it. And anyway, she came, the church camp was over, everybody had left, and I, my car and her car load were the only ones left there. Well, her car, she had a problem with it. I think it was the water pump, I forgot exactly, but it went out, and anyway, she couldn't get back home. Well, it was just her and her kids, and I was the oldest man there. I was about 21 at the time. And I was the oldest man there. She was in her 30s, and she may well have been into her 40s, I don't know for sure. But she, I mean, she was the type of person that she knew what she was doing. She had a good head on her shoulders. She knew more about what to do to get that car fixed than I ever thought about. I was a 21-year-old kid. I didn't know come here from Sikkim about a car. I really didn't. I didn't know how to fix it. I didn't. I never had taken care of anything like that. My brother was a mechanic. If I had any problem, I just let him do it. I never had done any business with people like that. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know if we was getting took. And, you know, it's easy to have that happen to you when you're in a bind and you've got to get something fixed that day and you're, uh, you know, it was just a bad situation. So anyway, I was sitting there and I was going to try and help her, you know, if there was any way that I could since her car wasn't working, if I could take her someplace. And what she did, she came up to me and she says, well, you're the oldest man here and so you're the one that's in authority. You've got control and I submit myself unto you. And I didn't know what she was talking about, but she explained to me that God had placed the responsibility on me to get her car fixed. 
and that she wasn't going to do anything. She wasn't going to offer any suggestions. She wasn't going to tell me anything about her car, about the finances that she had available, nothing. She just dumped it in my lap. It's your total responsibility, just as if you were my husband. You have to take this over, and you have to work it out. Well, I didn't know much, and anyway, I tried to do the best I could, and I forgot how it worked out, but I know that we got out of there some way or another. But I, I can remember the confusion that it put on me and the responsibility, the pressure. I didn't know what to do. And, and I'm sure that she could have done it and handled the situation a lot better than what I did, probably, if she'd have called her husband and had got him to give her some advice. He could have done a lot better about it than what I did. I didn't know what to do. I was at a loss, and I was just forced to do something. And by the grace of the Lord, we got out of it. But you see, that whole attitude was wrong. That's not what the Scripture teaches, that she was supposed to, a 30-, 40-year-old woman that knew what she was doing and would have been a lot better off handling it herself. She did not have to submit herself unto me simply because I was the closest, oldest, available male. That is not what the Scripture has to say about this, and I want to stress this. In all of these instances, the Scripture talks about the woman submitting unto the man. That means her husband, and I want to stress that very strong. Then in the 23rd verse, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Now there is a teaching here that the woman head is the man. This is verified again over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It deals with this subject more in detail. In verse 1 it says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man, praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. And then it goes on and it talks about this. And, and again, this is a subject that is kind of related to what we're talking about, but it is not specifically on the area of submission. And that is a woman having long hair and all of these kind of things. I'm not going to deal with that. Let me just simply throw this in to answer a question. And that is down in the 16th verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, If any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. And what that is simply saying is that Paul here was not actually teaching on the length of hair. Now, he said some things here, and he showed you what he felt, and he told you what was normal or natural by nature, and that is for a man to have short hair and a woman to have long hair. That's what the Scripture says. I don't think anybody can take issue with that. And personally speaking, uh, there's many of you that have never seen me, but my hair is not long. I believe that a man should have short hair and a woman should have long hair. I like long hair on a woman and short hair, short hair on a man. But I'm not going to be contentious about it. I know a lot of men that have long hair that have the anointing and the power of the Holy Ghost function in their life a lot more than some people have got their head shaved. You can't judge spirituality by the length of a person's hair, by the length of their dress, how much makeup they got on or how much makeup they don't have on. And that is not what Paul was teaching. 
Paul was simply using this as an example to illustrate this teaching about the woman having her head as the man. The man is the head of the woman. He was just illustrating this and saying that her hair was given her for a covering. But he threw this in and he said, If any man seem to be contentious about this matter, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. So he's simply saying, Don't be contentious about this. Don't argue over the length of hair and things like this. And so that 16th verse should answer that question for a lot of people. But it does say here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it talks about that the man is the head of the woman. Well, now, what kind of head is he? Is this talking about a spiritual head? And there's some people that believe this, and I've even heard it taught to the extent that a woman cannot really approach unto God without a covering, without a headship, which would be her husband. In other words, it's nearly like, and of course this is an extreme example, but this is what a lot of people teach. It borders on this, and this is the way a lot of people have misunderstood it. They teach that the man is actually a mediator between the woman and God, and that a woman has to go through a man somehow or another. If there's no man there, she's without a covering. She can't really approach unto God. Well, that is not what the Scripture has to say. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 3 that there is only one mediator between God and man. And that's not talking about just the male part of mankind. That's talking about the human race. And there is only one mediator between God and man. That is the man, Christ Jesus. A husband is not a mediator or a go-between. This scripture is not saying that the man is the spiritual head of the woman and that the woman can have no spiritual relationship without the man fulfilling his part. That is not true. This, this is the reason that single women, there's some of them that have had fear instilled within them, that somehow or another they are open to demonic attack. They are open to everything that Satan wants to throw at them if they aren't married. And that's the reason that they run and get underneath the covering of a shepherd. Now, that's a true statement if you're talking about that Jesus Christ is the Savior of his body, the body of Christ, the church. That's a true statement, but that is not what that phrase is referring to because it says he is the Savior, and that's a small s, of the body. It is not capitalized. If you'll study over there in Titus chapter 2 and chapter 3 where the Scripture refers to Jesus as being our Savior, it's always capitalized. This is not capitalized. This is talking about he, the husband, is the Savior of the body. The word Savior does not always have to refer to Jesus and divinity. It can mean simply deliverer. It can mean simply deliverer or protector. And that's what the word actually means. Like, for instance, in the book of Judges, the book of Judges says that God raised up a Savior unto Israel, and then he did name a judge and talk about how that they delivered the people out of the hand of the Philistines or the Moabites or Ammonites or whoever. And it called those people saviors, deliverers, protectors, defenders. And so you see this right here is saying that the husband is the protector, the deliverer of the body, the woman's body, and that refers to the physical realm. So there is a headship of the man over the wife. The wife needs to submit to this headship and to the authority that God gave there, but you need to understand that it is not spiritual authority. God did not give a husband rights and dominion over his wife's spiritual growth 
and over her spiritual life and spiritual control. No, there is a physical authority here, and it is over the body. And this is verified like over in 1 Timothy chapter 5 where the scripture says that if any does not provide for his own, especially for those of his own household, he is worse than an infidel and hath denied the faith. And that's talking about the physical body. If he doesn't provide food and raiment and clothing, if he doesn't take care of his own family, then he's worse than an infidel. And that shows you the physical responsibility, protection, headship, Savior that God gave to the man over the woman. And that's where this headship that it's talking about comes from. The husband is the head of the wife. That's talking about the physical headship. This is not saying that the wife has to go through the husband to be able to approach unto God. And I've met some women that thought, well, man, they just couldn't really get with it because their husband wasn't in it and they just couldn't go on without him. Well, praise God, I'm not. it's not good to go on without him. It's better to bring him with you. But I'm saying this, that regardless of what his decision is, you do not have to be kept from the things of God because your husband doesn't go on with God. Now, it'll be a hindrance. But praise God, there are many hindrances that Satan throws at all of us, and you can overcome them. And so this is talking about not the phys spiritual headship, but a physical headship. In verse 24, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And that's a very, very strong statement. As the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now again, I want to say that this has been abused and taken to the extent. Now what I'm saying right here is an extreme I know that a lot of people that have taught on this subject would not go as far as what I'm saying, but yet they say this in principle. And the people who listen to it take this, and they go out and they do it. And so I'm not trying to throw stones at anybody, but I'm trying to knock down this principle. There has to be a limit on this. It says, So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, the way that you have to understand this is to be able to understand what submission is. Now, I've got a dictionary right here, and I just want to read to you what the dictionary has to say about submission and obedience. It says concerning submission, it says that submission is a legal agreement to submit to the decision of arbitrators. The act of submitting something, and on and on it goes, and it gives into different meanings. And then the word submit means to yield oneself to the authority or to the will of another, to permit oneself to be subjected to something. And then it infers even against your will. Now that's what the word submit means. If you'll look at the word obey, the dictionary right here says that obey means to follow the commands or guidance of, to comply with, execute. The word obedient means submissive to the restraint or command of authority. Now, I want you to see some things. I'm going to bring something out about these uh, definitions. The word submission means to yield to authority, and that's what all of these definitions basically are saying. You are yielding to the authority and to the control of another, but it does not say obedience. Submission and obedience are not synonymous. 
They are not the same thing. Now, they can be, and if you were dealing with a situation where everything was equal, it should be. But if we're talking about a marriage relationship, and most marriage relationships are not what they are not equal. There are many today that are unequal, and so submission and obedience are not necessarily the same thing. Submit means to yield oneself to the authority or to the will of another. And the word obedient means a sub submissive to the restraint or to the command of authority. So you see, when, it's when you're talking about obeying, you're talking about doing what was commanded you. When you're talking about submission, you are simply talking about yielding to the restraint or to the judgment or to the execution of another person. Now, are you understanding this? Out of this, I'm going to say a statement that may sound strange at the first, but it's true. And that is that you can be in submission and yet not obey. Now, I'm going to verify this. Let's go to some scripture in 1 Peter chapter 3. You can be in submission and yet not obey. Now, the reason I'm bringing this out is because the Scripture said over there in Ephesians chapter 5 that wives are supposed to submit themselves unto everything in the of the husband. That's what it says. Even as Christ, even as the church submits itself unto the Christ, so let the husbands be in subjection unto their husband in everything. Let the wives be in subjection unto their husbands in everything is what it said over there. So we need to understand what this is talking about. A parallel scripture is in 1 Peter chapter 3, and in verse 1, the scripture says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. It says likewise. That word likewise means to go up to what was said previously and study it, and in the same manner as these were submissive, you wives also be submissive to your husbands. So let's back up into the second chapter of 1 Peter. And in verse 13, we begin to read where Peter wrote, and he said, Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Verse 13 says, Submit yourself to every ordinance of man. That sounds like the every that's over there in Ephesians chapter 5, doesn't it? Where it says that the wives are supposed to be in subjection unto their own husbands in everything. This right here says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Well, now, is this telling you that if your government was to command you that you could no longer preach or teach in the name of Jesus and share the gospel with people, is this telling you that you have to obey that kind of a command? Well, now, there's some people that would say that. There's some people that says this means in everything. Well, let me show you what this is talking about. If you will remember, the person that wrote this book is Simon Peter, the Apostle Peter. And you can read over in Acts, the fourth chapter, about where Peter had uh, been brought before the council, the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests, because he healed a man at the gate of the temple. And the Pharisees and scribes, they just got some kind of upset with Peter and John for doing that. And so in verse 18, Acts chapter 4, verse 18, it says, They called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Now, this 18th verse says that this was a command that they gave them. It was a law that they put down. 
First Peter chapter 2, verse 13 says, Submit yourself to every ordinance of men. Right here, they gave them an ordinance. They gave them a law. They, they commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But verse 19, Acts 4, 19 says, But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And so they went out from that place, and they immediately began to preach and teach Jesus again. They went contrary to that command that was given them by the chief priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees. And yet, Peter over here, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, wrote, and he said, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Now, how do you compare these two and harmonize them without making a contradiction? Well, somebody might say, Well, Peter... He just was out of line. He should have obeyed what they told him. He should have submitted himself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. No, he should not have quit preaching the gospel. If that was so, then Jesus was wrong because he disobeyed their commands. When they told him to quit preaching the things that he was, he kept right on. And Paul would have been wrong because they told Paul not to do it. So would have John. So would have... John got exiled for it. And, and on and on and on you could go. You could talk about all of the martyrs. No, it's not God's will that you quit preaching the gospel, even if that is a command from the government. Well, then how can you reconcile it where it says, Submit yourself to every ordinance of man? Again, I want to make this statement that you can be in submission without being in total obedience. You, can, you, cannot, you can submit yourself to that authority that has given you the ungodly command and yet not obey their ungodly command. And see, this is what Peter and John did. They did not rebel at the authority of the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests that was put over them. What I mean by they did not rebel is they didn't go out, they didn't speak evil of those people. They didn't begin to run down their government. They didn't begin to talk about those hypocrites and those sorry, rotten people that were there and that had done this to them. They didn't lambast them. They didn't try and start a rebellion. They didn't get petitions going. They didn't do anything in rebellion at the authority over them. They patiently took the rebuke. And you can find over in the fifth chapter of the book of Acts that when they got beaten for preaching the gospel... They went forth from the presence of the council, counting themselves, uh, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the cause of the Lord. They did not revile those people. They didn't speak evil of them. So you see, they were in submission to the authority. They did not rebel at the authority, but yet they did not obey the ungodly command. And I want you to see this. Obedience and submission are not necessarily synonymous, they are not the same thing. If it comes to a choice between obeying God and obeying man, you obey God. Do not disobey God and obey an ungodly command and think that you're doing God's service. No, a thousand times no. You do not disobey God, but yet don't rebel at the authority over them. Now, if Peter and John in Acts, the fourth chapter, if they had have gotten up there and if they had just begun to blaspheme the, the high priest and all of these people and begin to say, I refuse to do anything you tell me to, I rebel at you, I don't want anything to do with you, we're going to overthrow you, and if they had begun to blaspheme them and speak evil of them, do things like this, they would not have been in submission. 
But you see, they didn't rebel at the authority. They patiently submitted to the authority, even in the fifth chapter of the book of Acts, where they were beaten for it. They did not fight back. They did not resist. They submitted to the punishment. They submitted to the authority, but they did not obey the ungodly command. And now, put that back together with the third chapter of 1 Peter, where it says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection. So that means this is the same pattern that a wife is supposed to follow. This is not telling a woman that she is supposed to submit to everything, excuse me, she is not supposed to obey everything that an ungodly husband would tell her to do. No, if it violates God's word, do not go contrary to God's word. Don't you go out and sin and think that you're being in obedience to God by submitting to your husband. You can submit to that husband without obeying his ungodly command. Now, I'm going to explain that a little bit further, but I want to take, uh, go back up again into 1 Peter chapter 2. There are three examples here about how people submitted to the authority over them. And the, the first one we just talked about was submitting yourselves unto every ordinance of man. And then in the 17th verse, the scripture says, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. That means the ungodly. And again, there's people that have taken this scripture and have said that this, you know, likewise ye wives, it says it, you're not only supposed to obey the good ones, the ones that are filled with the Holy Ghost and seeking God, but even the ungodly, you're supposed to obey everything they have to say. And they refer back to this example where it says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. And so they say that that means that you're supposed to obey even the ungodliness. No, that's not what it's saying. It's again saying be subject to it. That did not mean obedience. To further verify this, it says in the 19th verse, For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if ye, when ye be buffeted for your faults ye shall take it patiently, but if when ye do well and suffer for it ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. And so it paints a picture here of a servant suffering and being persecuted, not for doing wrong, but for doing right. Not for having a fault, but for doing what was right. So it shows you right here that it's not talking about that this servant obeyed the ungodly command of the, of the ungodly master that was over him, but instead he submitted to the chastisement, to the punishment of the ungodly servant when he went ahead and did what was right and just and holy. He took it wrongfully. He was suffering wrongfully, but he bore it patiently, and that's what those scriptures say. And then the third example that it gives in First Peter chapter 2 is the example of our Lord Jesus. And it says in verse 21, for even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. And he's talking about specifically the example of being in submission to the authority that's over you. And, it's, and it goes on to say, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously." And these scriptures show you that Jesus did not revile back when he was reviled. He did not fight back. And brothers, if there was anybody who could have ever have fought back, it would have been Jesus. Jesus, as the song says, could have called 10,000 angels. He could have given his servants swords and they would have fought for him. He even had to tell Peter to put his sword up. You remember that? 
Jesus did not rebel at the authority that was over him. He submitted unto all of their ridicule, the chastisement, the mockery, the shame, the disgrace. He did not rebel in any way, but he did not obey their ungodly commands. They tried to tempt him. They tried to get him to sin. They tried to get him to do everything, and Jesus was sinless, holy, perfect. He never disobeyed God in any way, form, or fashion. And yet, he did not rebel. He was in submission, but he was not in obedience to everything that the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, Herod, and Pilate wanted. He did not obey all of their commands, but he was in submission to them, is what these scriptures have to say. And it says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. So, out of all of this, I want to say that a woman is not to submit to the ungodly demands of a husband if they go contrary to God's word. No, a thousand times no. You cannot accomplish the righteousness of God by committing the sin of the devil. It does not work that way. Well, where do you draw the line? Well, let me say this. You are going to have to be filled with the Holy Ghost and have some wisdom operating in you because I do not know of a step one, two, three that you can say do this and don't do this. You're going to have to have some wisdom from the Lord. But, of course, to know what God's will is, it's got to be the Word has to be your basis. Anything that a husband would command a wife to do that goes contrary to God's Word, a woman does not have to obey that. But let me stress this about that the woman still does have to be in subjection to him. Now, there are some women that have taken this teaching that we're talking about and that they've said, well, praise God, that sets me free. That means I don't have to start doing the things that my husband has told me to do. And I've seen some women go up to their husband and, like, say, for instance, the husband tells a wife to do something, and they say, I don't have to do it. You sorry old reprobate, you blankety-blank, and they just let him have it. And they tell him, I don't have to do nothing, you tell me. I am not going to submit to you. You told me to do something contrary to God's Word. And they just really let him have it. Well, now, if that is the attitude of any women that are listening to this tape, I'm going to tell you right now that you are in rebellion. You are not in submission to your husband. That is not a godly attitude, and you are not fulfilling God's will by doing something like that. You are giving place to the devil, and he will never be one as he beholds your chaste conversation, because that's not chaste. That is not a godly way to react. That is giving place to the devil. Now, I'm telling you that if a husband was to command a wife to do something contrary to the Word, she does not have to disobey God to obey her husband. But she still has to submit to his authority. Remember, God gave that man to her as a head, as a physical savior, protector, uh, as leadership in that home. The proper way to respond is that if a husband commanded a wife to do something that was ungodly, the proper way to do it would be for that woman to stress her love and her commitment to the husband. Like, for instance, she could say, Honey, I love you. I want to obey you. I want to submit. And I really want to make this home work. I want to make a good marriage. But you have asked me to do something that violates God's word. And if it comes to a choice, I must obey God. And then she could say, I pray that you understand. I really do love you, but I must obey God. Now, if you go at it that way, you have done the right thing. You have obeyed God, but yet you have submitted yourself to that husband. And if the husband begins to browbeat you and speak evil of you and revile on you, do what it says in First Peter chapter 2. 
don't revile again, just like Jesus did. If he threatens you, don't threaten him. You commit yourself to God who judges righteously. Don't begin to fight with him. If he gets mad at you and lets you have it and persecutes you for days over it, just take it patiently. And if he even begins to beat on you, do not resist by sitting there and rebelling and just letting him have it. Now, I need to say something here because this could be taken to an extreme like a woman could say, well, I'm supposed to lay down and let him kill me. Well, I do believe that the Scripture says that you, if, uh, if the husband be pleased to dwell with you, let not the wife depart. Now, this is out of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Then it goes on to say, But and if she depart, let her remain unmarried, or else be reconciled unto her husband. So it tells you that it's God's will for you to stay. But I know that it has to be according to your faith. It has to be according to where you are. And if you're facing death, if you're facing uh something that you just simply can't hack. The Scripture says that you can leave. God would like to give you the power and the ability to be able to stay and get on top of your situation, but if you cannot hack the situation, you can leave if it got that desperate, but that's not God's best will, and if you do, you have to remain unmarried. And that's what the Scripture has to say about it. Somebody might say, but you can't expect me to stay if a man is threatening my life. Well, I tell you, we have a lady that we've ministered to before whose husband had tried to kill her on a number of occasions, and I mean he was like four or five times bigger than she was, and he had really tried to kill her. He had broken her neck once before. Some things had happened that were pretty severe, and anyway, she got hold of the truth, and she began to stand her ground, and she took so much authority over those demonic powers that operated through him that it actually reached the point that she got to where she could control it, and he has since that time never one time laid a hand on her to hurt her since she stood her ground. And it was just about as severe a case as anybody that I've ever seen. Through the Word of God, a wife can take dominion over that. God will grant you protection. But, now let me also say this, if you were in a situation where you didn't yet know the Word of God that way, and if your husband was irate and threatening to kill you, and if you did not know how to stand on the Word of God, I'd tell you, get out. Not that that's the best thing to do. I'd tell you that you could, you could stay and get strong in the Word of God and learn how to dominate that and bring those demonic powers that are controlling him. You could break their hold, especially over you and over the kids. But if you aren't to that place yet, what are you going to do till you get there? Are you going to get killed? I'd tell you no. I'd tell you get out. That's not God's best, but that is due to the situation. And I'd tell you to remain unmarried or else be reconciled unto your husband, like it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So anyway, you do not have to obey the ungodly command of, a, of an ungodly husband or even a Christian husband telling you an ungodly command. You don't have to obey that, but yet you do have to submit. You cannot rebel at the authority that he has. And also there's some wisdom that needs to be used here because there's a lot of women that say, for instance, would say if a husband told them not to go to church anymore, they'd say, no, sir, I've got to obey God. And they may even try and go about it in a nice way. They may say, honey, I want to obey you. I want to make this homework, but I've got to obey God. And the Scripture says, Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together, and I've got to go to church. Now, that sounds good so far, but I've seen some women 
that what they considered forsaking the assembling of themselves together, they went to every knitting circle that came along, to every gossip party at the church, to every little thing that happened, to the Halloween carnivals, to the Valentine party, to the Christmas parties, to this, to that, to the watch night service, to on and on and on and on, and you could go. Well, now, let me say that some of that stuff, in the first place, is not truly the body of Christ meeting together and edifying themselves. If you're going to the knitting circles, and if your husband's upset over that, stay home. That is not where the Word of God's being ministered. You are not really being fed through that. You ought to stay home and get out of that. I mean, go as far as you can with your husband. Obey anything that you can, unless it just flat comes to... to breaking the Word of God. And if you miss a few knitting circles or gossip circles, you'd probably be better off. And and in a certain situation where your husband was against it, you certainly would be better off. You need to use some discernment there. Also, the Scripture says, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together. That doesn't mean that you have to be there every time the doors are open. You could miss some services and spend some time with your husband and with your family and minister to them and probably accomplish a lot of good through it. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.